0: rahmani Rahim assalikumrahmatullahikat good evening everyone welcome to the third episode of the Shah Herald nightlife season two what is the purpose of life is heaven and hell real so you know I myself have asked myself this question a lot of times in fact um of course not after I become a Muslim, huh? but before I became a Muslim, I did ask myself many, many times, uh, why did why you know why things happen like that and all this. And most importantly, because when I see how they start to ask myself, what's my purpose in life, you know, and if heaven and hell is real sometimes. Um, is when I see things going wrong, you know, like when you see there's people dying around you or death and sadness, sometimes that's one of the trigger that got me to think, you know, is is why are we here, you know? Are we here meant to suffer? Are we here meant to, you know, go through so much hardship in life and suffering? So what is all this about? And are we supposed to wake up every day just to, you know, repeat day after day? Like, for example, you start off young, you start to study, go to school, and then you come home, and then next, you know, you start to find your career. And after your career, you go on to make new friends, and friends, you go out and party with them or not, you know? And then you go start a family and a life. Some some people may start a family, some don't. But this whole sequence of life is like so structured in some sense. It's like so prepared that this is how you're supposed to live life and eventually die at maybe 80 or 90. We don't know. So around that time. But uh, what I'm saying is uh, there has to be uh, more than that, right? Than just going through your day-to-day activities like that. And if you don't take time to actually look into this, sequence of life, why are we here, right, then we'll miss out the whole meaning of, you know, being in this world. So why today's topic is such an important topic I'd like to share is because mainly, you know, it helps us to understand deeper into the very essence of why we are created, why we're here in this world. Uh, Is there a God, you know, and if God has created us, He definitely have designed a specific purpose for us to be here in this world and eventually, inshallah, you know, be with him in the hereafter as well. So, without much further ado, I'd like to introduce to you the panelists up here. We have on the top right, Reezy, all the way from Toronto. Thanks for joining us, Rizzi. Assalamualaikum.
1: Salam. Thanks for inviting me on the show again.
2: Mashallah. You. You're, You're always invited. invited. <laughs> you
1: always invited. <laughs> always invited. Yeah, I
0: Hey, and next we have uh, here Bilal. He is a French Muslim, and he's in Singapore, living here. Salam brother. Thanks for joining. Alaikum
3: salam. Uh, how are you guys doing? Well,
2: good. Masha alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. I hope you are well too. Very yep.
3: well. Thank you. Alhamdulillah.
0: MashaAllah. All right. And now, without much further ado, the speaker for tonight, who will be sharing, you know, more so of what Islam's perspective of, you know, what is the purpose of, like, why we are here, is yes, uh, I would like to introduce you, as you know, uh, Saifur Rahman.
2: Assalamualaikum Ustad, thanks for joining us. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. I hope everybody is doing good uh, last week uh, and had a, a good weekend, and Inshallah, a better week uh, that's coming up. Inshallah. Okay. So Mashallah. this question. Uh, yeah. What is the purpose of life? If you look at any religions and philosophies over the span of human history, uh, there is only, there's one question that has been either asked directly or alluded to in all cultures across time. And that question is, as you ask, what is the purpose of life? Okay? And, and today, I, I, don't, I intend to talk about it from the Islamic perspective, but also from the Western perspective, so that we can have a juxtaposition of these perspectives. Right, inshallah, it become more holistic, inshallah. So, since human beings develop the ability to think rationally and analyze our surroundings, we've been curious about why things are the way they are. And this holds true on two levels. One, on a relative level, like for example, we want to know how organisms evolve. And the absolute level, asking the broad questions, the big picture of the meaning about God and the nature of the universe. And this absolute level, this big picture is the one that we are dealing with in the focus of today's discussion, Inshallah. So, people wonder about the purpose of life for a number of reasons. Okay, like you mentioned earlier on, uh, maybe they're just inherently curious or they've recently experienced a family tragedy, maybe. Maybe they're questioning their faith or they're going through a depression and they are looking for a renewed sense of meaning. For Muslims, we must know this purpose of our lives as it, def- as it defines the way we live. It becomes the lens in which we see the world uh, and our own existence in it. It enables us to see where we are going and direct us there. It guides us on how we behave when faced with the many challenges in life. So, it is an important question to discuss and that's why we decided to handle that in this episode. Right? Um, this is a significant conversation particularly if you engage uh, with our many disillusioned youth and ask them the meaning of life. And the answer that I always get across the board is usually life has no meaning or life is just a series of struggles. We live and we die. Right? It's like Fina was saying just now, if it's so ritualistic, like it's so repetitive that we live, we die, that's it. (laughs) Then (laughs) what's the point of being alive? Right? If it's just... To waste space. <laughs> right? So, I, I remembered vividly when I was uh, doing my graduate studies uh, as a Fulbright Scholar, uh, we were invited to the White House to have a conversation with policymakers. And my main question to the President then uh, of the USA was, how do we rekindle hope amongst our disillusioned youth? Wait, you really met the USA President? Uh? Then. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. It's part of uh, the program. Uh, okay. President Obama, not the President not President Trump. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Alhamdulillah, I guess. <laughs> okay. So that was a tough question to deal with, like, you know, and everybody was like, look at me like, wow, what are you asking these kind of questions? Because I feel that number one, the older generation, or maybe our generation simply don't understand that the actions we undertake today, uh, you know, uh, leave behind a rather bleak future for the youth. And so they sort of like give up, right? Number two, if I know the answer to this question, I would have won the Nobel Prize. (laughs) And and then I wouldn't have been doing this. (laughs) But if I can offer a thesis of some reasons of why I think uh, through my observation of both communities, especially I deal with the youth at uh, the university level, both uh, here in the East and in the West. You know, one reason I think which contribute to this predicament, and I'm going to trace this slowly bit by bit is the role of religion unfortunately okay once upon a time life had a clearer meaning given to us by god it was about serving him and living according to his commands and that's clear but as religion believes decline and in particular for muslims religious practices dwindled among the youth for example they don't pray they don't fast they consume non-halal uh, food they have unfettered boy girl relationships etc not only that we have to make it worse, Western philosophy. For example, for example Frederick Nietzsche, who said that God was, has supposedly died. Right? But along with it, the meaning that was once guaranteed to us uh, was also lost. Right? So, the whole foundation of the way of thinking at a point of time in the period of enlightenment was that God was dead. And then there is a replacement. Then we were taught that science can provide all answers and science should provide all the answers to the things that used to be explained by scriptures. We are not denying as Muslims the importance of science. After all, Islam is the religion of intellect, but we were not balanced. We put too much faith in the developing science. We believe in the here and now, we only accept what we can see and faith religion gets lost deeper and doing further from our lives. Another problem that contributed to this uh, predicament was the way we measure success. We measure success by ephemeral measures. We value wealth over health. We value luxury cars and houses over needs. We measure someone by their education. Sometimes even electoral comparison, for example, which university you go to, what degree do you graduate in. We prefer physical beauty and gym-sculptured bodies. (laughs) (laughs) And we glorify excessive lifestyles shown proudly in our social media, for example, IG and FB. So these are the measures of success for us now. It's fine and good if you, you know, if you like it. But the problem with these ephemeral things is that they don't last. And we have to keep chasing and chasing to upkeep with those standards. So, our lives become consumed by a non-stop chasing and achieve nothing in the end. Nothing that we can bring to the grave and to the hereafter. So, we then grow tired. We don't want to play catch up anymore we keep losing to someone else. Everything suddenly loses its significance. It's like waking up from a dream and we suddenly realize, obviously, through our own actions that we are lost. And so years later, finding ourselves in a state of loss, we try to find back the answer to this basic question, what is the meaning of life? So now, at that late age, after wasting so many years in the past, we try to find the compass to bring us back home. Most are happy to continue chasing, giving hundreds and hundreds of self-justifications and uh, excuses to remain on that, on, their, on that path. But some of us, among whom Allah loves, inshallah, decides to give it up and make an effort to return to Him. So today's discussion is dedicated to those in this category. May Allah make your journey easy and when you find what you're looking for, inshallah. So that's why this topic, although it's heavy, is philosophical, it's dry, it is important as I've shown you in the way that I look at it, the tracing how from godly people, in that sense, until we become godless.
0: Mm. MashaAllah, I love how you, you you brought us to, you know, look at the meaning and purpose of life from that angle. and uh, How we lost the I mean, purpose of life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like the part where you also mentioned, like, you know, is it all about chasing money, success in this world? And, you know, it's a common thing as Singaporeans when I studied overseas, it's a habit, I think. We always ask, how how I how do in school? <laughs> How's your, what's yeah. your grades, you know? Or, uh, what are you working as now? These are the common... Well, I would questions.
2: say, wow, if you went to Australia, high, high class, huh? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> but the funny... I mean, the thing is what I realized is Australians, they some of them find it offensive to review such things to you because they feel that, yeah. you know, you're trying to measure myself and you, you know, something like that. Or compare. They don't like comparison right. in that sense. Right um but uh like you said is is it really all about chasing money and all that all this are uh, just temporary like even today if you ask me have i you know i mean i remember most of what i studied in school but mm. yeah. <laughs> what i'm wow. saying is do you apply do you apply every single thing you know they are like good to increase your knowledge but you don't really most use of it temporary. No, right <laughs> yeah <laughs> so it's yeah. temporary yeah like you said yeah.
2: mm. quite depressing huh so, eh? <laughs> yeah,
0: quite depressing. So,
2: this sounds so different. Can you share a story that can, you know, bring us our spirits up? I believe, uh, mm, I believe, inshallah. Okay, so uh, yeah. the best of stories are those of the prophets, I suppose. Mm. Huh? I mean, as as Muslims uh, and contained within the Quran as narrated by Allah. Okay. okay, so today, inshallah, since you request, I want to talk about the story of uh, one of the prophets which are uh, not commonly uh, talked about, uh, Prophet Salih alayhi <laughs> salam. And hope that we uplift our our spirit and inshallah continue uh, its relevance in handling the topic today. Okay, so Prophet Saleh was one of the 25 named prophets in Islam. However, his story and the story of the she-camel that's associated with him was not mentioned in the Bible. Prophet Saleh's story and his people, the people of Thamud, is interesting as his story has been repeated many times all over the place in the Quran, emphasizing therefore its importance. So, Muslim records tend to locate Thamud and the activities of Prophet Saleh in the modern city of Madain Saleh, which means uh, Madain, cities of Saleh, in the Hijaz in in Arabia, several hundred kilometers uh, north of Medina in modern-day Saudi Arabia. It's located along the trade route from southern Arabia and Syria. So, uh, I don't know, maybe sometimes you Google and you see photos of the the tomb of Nabi Saleh and Nabi Hud uh, is recorded that they are either in Mecca or Hadramaut, Yemen. Uh, he was the father of Prophet Hud. Both Prophet Hud and Prophet Saleh are said to have been giants. And you see that their graves are okay. super long. Very long. I think you can Google it. quite easy to find. Right? Saleh was called to preach a message to the people of Thamud. The rock dwellings in which they were living, the environment of that uh, of that era can still be seen today. Okay, if you pass by to the area. So according to the Quran, these people cultivated very rich fertile land and therefore they were very proud of their wealth. They also worshipped many gods, oppressed the poor in their midst and lived lives which were far from the kind of lives Allah wanted them to live. And so Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam's message was very simple. as the message of all prophets. He told the people to turn away from bad behavior and to turn instead to Allah who gave them all of these good things that they're enjoying right now. Unfortunately, as the story goes, they refuse to accept the message. And so the first thing we should note, that the story of Prophet Saleh is this. God, Allah can choose many ways to convey his message to us. Sometimes beyond our comprehension and logic. And in this particular instance, Allah chose to speak to the people of Thamud through the story of a she-camel. And it's amazing because it's not like a normal she-camel. Okay, So you will see that not only the people of Thamud rejected the message that uh, Prophet Saleh sent to them, they even asked a sign to prove that he was a prophet of God. And what they asked was something very particular and very specific. That defied logic. I mean, if I ask you to do this, you can't do this. No one can do this. In the hope that, of course, Nabi Saleh would not be able to prove that he's a prophet of God. So they pointed to him a huge rock behind him and proposed that he asked his God, i.e. Allah, to create a camel, not a camel, a she-camel, uh, you know, out of, out of the rock. And if that has been fulfilled, they will follow him in their belief. Mm-hmm. So Nabi Saleh, okay, so that's the condition. If I can do this, you will become Muslims, okay? So he, he prayed to God and inshallah, Alhamdulillah, Allah granted that wish, answered their request. The rock move and split and from it came a wonderful she-camel, which was not only a she-camel, but a, was, but a pregnant she-camel that was soon to give birth. So mm-hmm. Prophet Saleh told them, O oh my people, and this is hud the she-camel of Allah is a sign to you. Leave her to feed on Allah's earth, inflict no harm upon her, or a swift punishment will seize you. So these are the conditions that Nabi Saleh told them. So then the she-camel gave birth and some people accepted the message when they saw all of these uh, miracles that happened, but most of them still refused. Now, instead of uh, protecting the camels, as was uh, was given, was told by Prophet Saleh, what they did was one night nine men came out and killed both the she camel and the baby calf. So they did a silly thing; they challenged Prophet Saleh to bring down Allah's punishment if he was indeed a prophet of God. Wow. Later, we talk about the lesson out of this. Yes. It's, it's really rude. Eh? So, Allah said in Surah Hud, in verse 65, He says, Enjoy yourselves in your homes for three days. And this is a promise that will not be denied. And so, at the end of the three days, in verses 67 to 68 of Surah Hud, you find that the people of Thamud were destroyed, and Prophet Saleh and the people who were left moved from that place never to return again. So, that's roughly the short of it. Uh, what are the lessons that we can learn from this story? And there's quite a few. First of all, the story of Prophet Sal- Salih salam teaches us not to put Allah to the test. Asking for signs and proofs from Him. Because in reality, all of this existence are His proofs. Right? So if you don't think we need to return to Allah, uh, let's say we're talking about the purpose of life, right? Don't challenge Him by saying things like, for example... Prove to me when, when I die, I will be resurrected and held to account. Right. Prove to me that God exists. You know, we we, we tend to in arguments and debates hear people saying these sort of things. Or when you're so in love with this world so much that you're skeptical of the hereafter. Okay, you 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 must be aware of the story in Suratul Kafi in with regards to the owners of the two gardens. That he was so proud of his garden, so much so that, number one, he felt that he did not believe that he would die. Number two, that even if he dies, Jannah would not be as beautiful as his garden. So proud he is. So what happened to him? The next day, Allah gives a storm and then his garden was destroyed by the Inman and there was nothing left for him to be proud of anymore. So in an instance, Allah take it away. The second lesson we can learn from the story of Nabi Wasallam, it teaches us not to disobey Allah. Right? That's why knowing the purpose of your life is important. And to listen to his prophets and to be quick about doing the right thing. The first message is, do not stray. If you stray, don't stray too far off because you all stray anyway. Third, then because you stray, always regularly return to Allah. Seek repentance and right your wrongs with Allah and His creation before it's too late. So that becomes the principle in which we live by. Okay, constantly be in a state of muhasabah or self-reflection. So that if you find yourself not being in a well-balanced between your pursuit of this world and the hereafter, rectify it. If you spend, for example, I give you this simple equation and it seems logical, but you know that it's unfair. If you spend, for example, eight days, eight hours sorry, dedicated to work, you need to spend also an equal amount of eight hours serving Allah. Hmm. That is a balancing act. But what do you do? We spend eight, ten hours at work and you spend five minutes to pray. Two, two pun kalau we pray. If we don't pray, like worse. Right? And then at night when we're supposed to be freer, we, we are supposed to, you know, uh, uh, do a, a little bit more of zikir, wake up for hajjur, for example, read the Quran. The answer is, I'm too tired. Because in the, the balanced life of a Muslim, the Prophet wasallam said, is divine to three. One is for this world, your work. One is for your body to rest, which is eight hours. And the other eight hours is for worship. That is a balanced life. To, in the end, 24 hours. Okay? Mm-hmm. So the third lesson, <clears throat> continuing from what we discussed, that we learned from Prophet Saleh is, do not take Allah or Islam for granted. Because usually we agree with Allah when things are good, but when things are bad, you know, so uh, we 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 go to him and say, "Ya Allah, if, for example, you help me this 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 time out, I'm gonna dedicate so and so to you. I will do ABCD for you." So that's when we're down. But when we achieve our success, I mean, Allah alleviates us from that that difficulty. Usually, we slacken on our efforts with Allah. Don't fall in this trap. Mm-hmm. Remember and connect with Allah in good times, so that you can connect with Allah automatically in bad times don't take Allah as just something that you go to when you're down because if you're not accustomed to living with him when you're up you will never be able to find him when you're down okay and finally know that we cannot ignore Allah right we know that Allah doesn't need us but instead we are totally dependent uh, on the grace of Allah sometimes we feel proud of our achievements as if it was all our effort. Sometimes we feel so important, so powerful, so clever. For example, with our rank, our status, and our ability to send people into space. For example, <laughs> we can't even manage this earth. <laughs> oh, we, you know, we are gonna go to live in Mars. <laughs> okay, lah, like, goodbye, lah. You know, <laughs> thank you for leaving Earth. <laughs> ignore, uh, you, you know, the cleaner in our office. Simple things that you know we we engage with every day. We deny simple people their rights. Those we can bully. We bully, right? So know that all of these things are within Allah's grasp, so He can put an end to our stubbornness at any moment by taking away all of these blessings, if He chooses to. We must always remember that we need to conduct ourselves as His Khalifa, as His representative, because we are representing Him on this earth. So I'm sharing this story and. I want to share with you how I relate this to our topic tonight. Mm-hmm. First, it is, a, it is important to be a good human being first and also being a good believer. Most Muslims sometimes, they just want to be a good Muslim, good Muslim, good Muslim, but they forgot that they are human beings first. And, that's, you know, and, and that takes the common sense out of them. Everything is by A, B, C, by the rules. They cannot comply with all the rules, but they want to be by, by the book, but they have missed the big picture by looking at you know, uh, minute details. Be a good human being first. If somebody, your colleague, is facing a tragedy, be empathetic. And you are nice to him or her, not because it's your faith, but because you have the same heart. You, you feel the same pain if you lose the same thing. Okay? So that's important, number one. Number two, in our daily transgressions with Allah, all of us, do not be too haughty do not be too proud to deny our weakness and then trying to return to Him. Because of faith, we will never feel that we are better than everyone else. We should not. Because on top of someone good, there is someone better. Because of faith, we will never give up hope of not being closer to Allah because the way of Islam is the way of hope. And finally, why I chose this story is because it is important to know the purpose of our lives in order to be able to lead a meaningful life and a successful life in this world and in the next world. Knowing our, pray, our purpose enables us to balance between the priorities of this world and the next. So, And, and you know, we are all taught of this very popular doa in the Quran in Surah Al-Baqarah. Allah teaches us. And I think this doa is not just a doa, but it's also to give us an indication how we balance things out. Allah teaches us by saying, "Robbana atina fit dunya hasana," meaning, "Ya Allah, please grant me success in this world. Wa fil akhirati hasana, and grant me success in the hereafter. Wa and prevent me from the punishment of the hellfire." So, it gives us an indication of the struggle that we need to balance the balance of success in this world and the balance of success in the hereafter, in order for us to be able to see what is our purpose in our lives. So hopefully that will, uh, you know, uplift us a bit from the stories that Allah taught us in the Quran about Nabi S.A.W. MashaAllah.
0: That's very profound. I mean, uh, we were reflecting on this uh, earlier, you know. Sometimes my phone, even Rizzi said that her phone would come out with this notification. You have been Mm -hmm. on screen time for the last eight hours.
2: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, you just get stuck to your phone. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if you, you dedicated that eight hours to Allah, <laughs> if only, inshallah. Even but inshallah. now that you know, you know that, <laughs> that some things need to change and that's something that you need to strive. Everybody goes through this, not only you, you know, everyone. So, there is something that we need to always recalibrate our lives in order to focus it to something more productive and beneficial, inshallah. <clears throat> Yeah. That's it. Uh,
3: just uh just a question. Uh, yeah. uh, unless we see you have a question, you, you can go first if you want, no problem. No, it's okay, you can go. Okay, sure. Uh so yeah, I just have a question on the uh mm-hmm. the context of today's era. As you know, uh stars, you know, in, in this life that we are living right now is very much uh, being busy and you know, yeah. especially work as you highlighted. Um and so the context of before, which is that the balance that you actually mentioned, um Is it completely timeless or does Islam take things into consideration of uh, times are changing and maybe today we are even more busy, so to speak? Mm -hmm. And um, so how shall we go about
2: that? Okay, good question. So sometimes, uh, you know, when you start work, uh, because you're new, your boss gives you like maybe uh, 50% for you to achieve. And then after that, the end of the day, you go home. But as you go, grow in seniority and responsibility, your, your, your job becomes more and more and more. And then you ask yourself, how am I going to finish this by the targeted day, for example? Right? But what do you do? You somehow manage either by being more productive, being more efficient, or you distribute the work amongst your team. And so you come up with the answer, with the solution within the same period of time. Right to produce a more more productive uh, piece of work, so in Islam is the same, because what doesn't change is that there's only twenty four hours in a day. Right, and Islam gives you an indication like the hadith I mentioned just now: one third of it for for this world, one third of it for your physical body to recuperate, you know, to rest and to re- recover, and then one third of it is for you and Allah. So if let's say the demands. Of life has become more competitive in these times, then it is uh, up to us that we must sit down and start to think about how to work more efficiently, more cleverly, how to be more productive within the same given space of time. Because in reality, we all can can do it. Because if the boss says you better do it by deadline, you will definitely come up with something, even if you don't sleep, right? So you can make those sacrifices. But what if you can come up with ways which are better so that you can finish the, a bigger amount of work in a same given number of time, so that your whole balance within a day is always kept intact. And then you come out to be a more productive person as a worker, as a as a person, as a believer as well. Right? So, it will always compound. And always be careful, because sometimes in when we go through life, we, we always give this excuse that, oh, it's getting harder and harder. So, if it gets harder and harder, there is our justification to our time with Allah will be lesser, 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 lesser because you need to, to channel it here. But don't fall into that trap because then in the end, there will be nothing. Right? Maintain always that balance so that you will come out to be a more balanced person. Okay? I was just talking to one of my students today. He's in finance. He was saying like, you know, I, I really enjoy uh, learning about Islam or reading the Quran. And blah, 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 because finally, I'm not reading something about finance. Otherwise, I'd be such a boring person just reading the same thing again and again and again for, to, to, to be better at my work. So this gives me a broader perspective and makes me a more wholesome person, inshallah. Okay. Uh thank you very
3: much, Hustas. Very, very clear. So I'll try to balance that. Uh the other question that I had was related to fate. Uh, you okay. know, uh so th- there is something that I was always wondering, which is around uh, you know, tawakul and, and trust in Allah. Mm-hmm. And I hear more and more people saying that, oh, don't worry about it. Um I just trust Allah, everything will go fine. And this is how they decide on their fate. Uh but I always believe that, you know based on Quran is all about pondering and thinking and reflecting. So, um, shall we have only reliance on Allah's report or shall we also think and do it a little bit differently and also walk, work our way? Y- do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, I know I know what you mean and it's a very good question because the concept of tawakal suffers the same fate as the concept of inshallah.
4: Okay, <laughs> for example, I want to, <laughs> hey, you want to hang out <laughs> inshallah
2: but you have no intention of hanging out with me uh, you know you're not coming for for whatever we, we discuss, it's just inshallah. So that's kind of like a diplomatic way of saying yeah, I'll try my best but in reality you're not trying your best and so that's the cultural way of uh, the fate of inshallah. And tawakkal is the same. Sometimes we use tawakkal as a front to cover our laziness, our lack of effort, in which we want to say that is Allah's job. So if something goes wrong, Allah's at fault. If something goes right, Allah loves me. Right, mm-hmm. the 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 teaching is very simple. The prophet, in the way he explains this, was one day a group of uh, Bedouin came to meet him at the mosque, and he says, you know, uh, you know, I, I I came on a camel, but I trust my camel would be protected by Allah. I have trust in Allah, tawakkal with Allah. But he did nothing. So the prophet said, before you have this trust in Allah, you must put your human effort, because otherwise you all become magicians, right? We can just pump and then things will. Like- So, he says, go and tie your camel. And then, after you put in your human effort, the best that you can, in order to protect that camel from running away, then you leave it to Allah and Allah will take care of it. You know, and the prophet like even as the prophet, I can't do this kind of magic. <laughs> and then you want to say tawakal. So sometimes we, we must be careful. We try to self-justify ourselves or make an excuse by saying tawakal. We are using those terms wrongly. Tawakal means like you already pointed out. You must think about it. You must plan about it. You must you must make sure that you know it's is the best way. Uh, you know that you can achieve that outcome that you wanted, and then you execute it. Now the success of it, despite, after all the hard work that you've done, that is belonging to Allah. But the efforts of thinking about it, of doing it, of slogging uh, on it is your effort as a human being. Mm-hmm. So before you say you trust Allah, you need to trust yourself. Ask yourself, have I done my best in, in making sure, for example, ABCD, whatever it is that you wanted? Mm-hmm.
3: Okay, thank you very much. Very Actually, clear.
0: Yeah, Actually, Risty, Risty has a next question, but before I go to her, I just have a quick one because they are talking about okay. the camel part.
5: Yeah.
0: Um, okay, just curious, okay, because you said that, you know, at <clears throat> least you must first put the effort of securing the camel, which is your effort to achieve success or the, the things you want to do, and then mm-hmm. leave the rest to God, to Allah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also important that we should know whether we're using the right rope, or is the rope really a rope, right? I mean, I think mm-hmm. we should also take effort to go and have knowledge about, you know, whether we are truly
2: using a rope or is it some kind of fake rope and then the camera's is yeah. going to run away. <laughs> right. I understand what you mean. So, I, to contextualize with our topic today, I can simply say, if you ask me, what's the purpose of life? You know what my answer would be? My answer would be, I don't know. That's Allah's job. This is, let him do he, whatever he wants to do. <laughs> <laughs> right? So we didn't have to figure anything out. We just And so your life and my life, we just float by. Whatever happens, happens. Whatever doesn't happen, doesn't happen. So that would be the consequence of saying that you know i trust without putting an effort and effort includes like you, you pointed broadly that you need you need to figure out how to make sure the camel is sturdy uh, you know it will run away so you want to tie him so make sure you want to make sure what kind of rope would be suitable for this constitution all of these factors taken into account is the best effort that you need to put forward first okay, okay. okay. Yeah. Okay, history history. History. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a really beautiful analogy, kind of reminds me of this one video that I saw um, on one of those Islamic YouTube channels that talks mm-hmm. about, you know, saying inshallah and then just not doing anything. It's like getting into a car and then saying inshallah and expecting the car to drive itself. I mean, mm-hmm. maybe the we can have like Teslas that drive themselves, but for now, we yeah. just, buy, you know, normal cars and we have to put in the effort. And also bring it back to the point where you're talking about um, in Islam, everything almost happens in threes. You know, like one, two, three. Like I, you know, like like one third of the day for work one third for rest and one third for prayer that also reminds me of how you know in islam we also say it's the same way that we eat as well um one third for food one third for water one third for air so that we don't overfill ourselves with food or water or just like starve ourselves with just air right so it's like the same thing like we we need that kind of fuel so in our lives like you know the prophet peace be upon him you know he he also did a lot of like trade back in the day with his wife Khadija so um you know like like this kind of idea of three, like half, like one third for like work, one third for rest, one third for prayer, contrasting this with the West um, on how like the I Western think. idea of like happiness is more just like, I feel like just like one, you know, the meaning of life is just one, it's just be happy and that's it, that's ultimately right. it. And you, you hear them like propagating this like fact through other like um, religious figures too, like a lot of, I don't want to say like like white people specific, not not white yeah. people but like a yeah. lot of Canadian people okay like they they kind of like borrow, <laughs> borrow ideas from like Zen Buddhism or like you know Gandhi and then they take these leaders and then they nitpick, nitpick the parts they want to adhere their own lives to and they say oh the meaning of life is to be happy or whatever it's not just it's not just Canadian <laughs>
2: so can I ask you another question what is happiness
1: hmm. it I <laughs> requires of, another
2: kind of you know thinking right so it's, think, it's so open
1: I think like in in terms of like happiness i don't know like my parents keep telling me you don't have to follow islam you should just like be happy and stuff like that but the thing is like they're i they're like not even actively happy 24 7 right so it really makes really makes me wonder like what everyone's idea of happiness is and happiness becomes like this unachievable goal so i'm just wondering like um compared to islam to the west like what what is like the difference you know
2: yeah okay good good so so i i since you asked that it's important for me to sort of like trace uh, how the West looks at it, right? So, since this question can be deemed as philosophical, uh, we need to look at it from a Western philosophical view. Uh, so, maybe excuse us for a little bit if you're looking for Islamic answer. I will deal with the Islamic answer at the end of it after we trace this, right? So, what do you understand by purpose and meaning? Uh, so, purpose can be found, again, in threes, eh? three activities. Number one, I think, uh, is through communication or connection. And I will explain this later. Uh, understanding, number two. And number three is service. And I think the way that the West has understood this is kind of Islamic in a sense. Okay, let's look at first communication and connection. We are by nature isolated creatures and some of us, uh, our meaningful moments are are connected with uh, instances of uh, connection with others. For example, with a lover. For example, when we reveal our intimate uh, psychological selves, uh, when we form friendships, when we speak to a stranger, uh, and we feel a thrilling sense of victory over linguistic and cultural barriers. Right, so one of the things that you know, you, I like to do, I don't know about, about you, but when I travel and I, one of the conditions which I decide where I want to travel is I want to travel to a place where I don't speak the language. Because if I go to Malaysia, for example, even if I'm lost, I can always get myself out of that situation by speaking Malay. Right? So that's why at every opportunity, I want to learn another language. So Bilal was one of my French teachers. (laughs) (laughs) Remember (laughs) Bilal? (laughs) Oh, very
3: well, very well. And uh, you were my Surah teacher, so (laughs)
2: good exchange. Yeah, alhamdulillah. So, so that's that's the first one connection. Number two, understanding. Uh, This is about clarifying the confusion we have about the world or about ourselves. Uh, we might be scientific researchers, economists, poets, patients, or whatever. The pleasure of our activities stems from a common ability to map and to make sense of who we are and where we are going and, and the, the, the scheme of things. Right? So the third, finally, is service. One of the most meaningful things that we can do is to serve other people to try to improve their lives either by alleviating sources of suffering or else by generating new sources of pleasure. Right. So some of these meaningful moments come when we transcend our egos and put ourselves at the service of others, for the order or the planet, even. Right. Especially if what we do is in time is in, in line with our interests. So how does this connect? In order to have meaningful lives, we can also see that certain things are at play. Coming back to the three points just now, number one, we need to have relationships with others. Uh, not necessarily romantic relationships, but connections of some kind where the important things are being shared. One of the examples today is here. We've all become friends, right? Brothers and sisters in Islam. Number two, we also need to have a culture conducive to fostering and understanding of oneself and the world we must be able to throw out chaotic information that we find in the social media, for example. So another practical example is here we are as friends come together to discuss about Islam and gain benefit from one another. Okay, And lastly, we need to do good work with activities geared towards not just profit, but an upliftment of the soul of making people uh, happy, of getting to know themselves and ourselves through our maybe voluntary work. So another example, Same example like us, what we do, friends coming together to talk about things that benefit. Number three, there is no money in this. Nobody needs to pay to watch this. We're just doing this at our own free time, right? So so the question is, to find meaning, whatever yardstick you choose, does it, number one, gives you a connection to something else? Two, enable you to understand what you cannot previously understand by your own? Number three, spurs you into performing good deeds? let's keep these three questions in mind because in Islam it answers all of this <clears throat> right exactly so now we turn a little bit to the philosophy side okay uh who who studies philosophy i know firdaws does Do you see Do you study philosophy uh yeah. bilal yeah I did yeah. Uh, okay. descartes and nietzsche and also <laughs> okay yeah. so we're just going to touch and go touch and go we're not going to talk too much about them okay but generally speaking and because i'm going to categorize them according to their periods time period so um we begin with Plato. For him, the meaning of life is in attaining the highest form of knowledge, which is the idea of the good, from which all good and just things derive their utility and usefulness. And this was especially important, particularly in molding human beings and how they behave in, at the start of Western civilization. Okay, you know the Romans were the one who started all this senate and politics and all that. So it was the start of the Western civilization. So that was important for you to have the knowledge in order for it to be useful to the community, and that causes you happiness. Okay, and then we go to the seventeenth and eighteenth century with the start of the industrial revolution. So because of the industrial revolution, it's a little bit different. So we have uh, philosophers, for example, like John Locke, uh, Jacques uh, Rousseau, Adam Smith. You know, when you study at JC level, you know, the invisible hands, they saw humankind beginning to be in a state of nature and then finding meaning for existence through labor and property. And that's why, because it was suitable, that kind of ways of thinking during the Industrial Revolution. So, as we move to the 19th century, we have the utilitarian, uh, probably the most famous in this category with Jeremy Bentham, who found that nature has placed mankind under a governance of two sovereign masters, pain and pleasure. And that the good is whatever brings the greatest happiness to the greatest number of people. Greatest happiness to the greatest number of people. So his yardstick to define the meaning of life is the happiness principle. And then for the nihilists, the group of philosophers who claim that God is dead. This was the one that I traced in the beginning of this today's talk when I talk about the youth are losing hope. So we have famous people like Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, Martin Heidegger, Albert Camus, who claims that life is without any objective meaning. There's no meaning to life because there's no God. Right? In that nihilistic world, they claim that man can still live in dignity in the face of absurdity, living with secular saintliness, that means I can, I can become a saint just because I'm a good person by your standards. fraternal solidarity and rebelling against the world's indifference. Mm-hmm. And then we come to the 20th century. It gives birth to a group of philosophers who are called pragmatists, such as William James, who argued that practical, useful understanding of life is more important than searching for an impractical, abstract truth. And he says we can discover the meaning of life through experience. That means you work it out, being pragmatic. Okay, and then we have another category, in contrast to theism, which is believing God. Um, uh, those who believe the, uh, the we have this category called existentialists. Familiar? Yeah. Existentialists, and this yeah. would be uh, another famous group of people, very famous Jean Paul Sartre, uh, uh, Kierkegaard, uh, Schopenhauer. Familiar? All these oh, are yeah. French people, Bilal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they, well, actually, I'm very French in my philosophy, so I can't blame you either. <laughs> they claim that each person creates the essence or the meaning of their own life. Life is not determined by any God or supernatural uh, earth, uh, authority. That because one is free. And then finally, we come to the last part, which is the postmodernist. Mm. Beyond, beyond modern, modernity. This postmodernist posit human nature as constructed by language or by structures and institutions of human society. So you can find these famous people like Derrida. That's why they always talk about language. We talk about Foucault. It's always about the language, how you couch this issue. So anything resembling a meaning of life in the postmodernist terms, can only be understood within a social and linguistic understanding of remote. But they also realize that there are constraints uh, within language in how you interpret things. So they're always open ended. <laughs> These postmodernists. Well, so okay. so we have seen the development of worldly understanding in trying to unpack the meaning of life. It changes every century as strains of thought changes, and so. To follow up with Ruiz's question, he asks, she asked how the West understand the meaning of life and it flows, it changes, it goes through time depending on the needs of the community of the season, for example, because they have nothing concrete. So to juxtapose this, we ask ourselves how, what, is the Islam's, what is Islam's answer to this purpose of life? Anyone knows? In simple nutshell, what is the purpose of life according to Islam? According to what? Islam... Yeah, just try lah. Worship Allah. Worship Allah. That's almost like more than half of it. right? In short, if you to ask me before I elaborate, it would be to know and to worship Allah. That is the purpose of life. Okay, and, and I'm going to start tracing this. So as I trace the Western way of understanding this, I will trace the Islamic way of understanding this. Uh, so Prophet Muhammad teaches us that Allah created this need of knowing our purpose within our human uh, existence since Nabi Adam was uh, created, Adam, yeah, yeah. The, since the first man, so literally, Allah must have planned this even before he created mankind. Okay, so He made a covenant with with Nabi Adam in that sense, and with all of us actually. So in Surah Al-Araf, Allah says, "I'm gonna." It's cut a long surah, so I'm just gonna translate here and there. Remember when Your Lord extracted from the loins of Adam's children. So, which is all of us, huh? their descendants and made them testify by saying, Allah says, Alastu bi rabbikum. He says, He asked all of us during our spiritual soul self, Am I not your Lord? And the way we answer is interesting. Allah says, We answer by saying, Qalu bala shahidna. The very fact, that, I mean, if you know Arabic, if you know when we say the word bala, is not just yes. It's not a mere yes. Bala means confirm, definitely. I guarantee, yes, definitely. We testify to the fact that you are our Lord. And this was in a, in a soul form. And then in verse 173, in the same uh, surah Al-A'raf, Allah says, this in case you later on claim on the day of judgment, we are not sure. We are not aware of this. You cannot use this as a defense because Allah has immoralized it in the Quran. Or you cannot also say it was our ancestors who worshiped others besides God and we are only the descendants that we just follow. Will you destroy us because of what they told us? So Allah says these are all not an excuse on the Day of Judgment. So it's kind of quite scary okay? because we're talking about ourselves before we were even born. Our souls, we were created, collected Allah as Allah subirab bikum. We said our shahada in front of Allah. That's why when a baby uh, died before uh, reached a state, age of discretion, he's a Muslim. She, he or she dies as a Muslim because he has or she has testified the shahada before Allah in this case. So what we can gather from here is that the Quran teaches us that every human being was born conscious of God. It explains that Allah took a covenant from all the descendants of the children of Adam, us included. So He addressed their souls directly, making them bear witness that He was their Lord. Uh, And since God made all humans swear to this Lordship when He created Nabi Adam, this oath is imprinted on the human soul even before it enters the fetus. And so a child is born with natural belief in the oneness of God. And in Arabic, this is called fitrah. Mm-hmm. It'll fitri, remember mm. fitra, the way we live in the way that we have been created for. So consequently, every person carries the seed of belief in the oneness of God that lies to be buried within his layers of negligence and dampened by social conditioning. If the child were to be left alone without any corruption, he will grow up to be conscious of God, Alhamdulillah, of one God. But every one of us are affected by our environment. So the Prophet in Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim said, each child is born in a set of fitrah, but his parents make him a Jew or a Christian. It's like the way an animal gives birth to a normal offspring. Have you noticed any young born mutilated before you mutilate them? That was the kind of question that the Prophet asked, subhanAllah, right? Oh. Putting the blame on us in causing, uh, you know... Uh, uh, corruption, in that sense. Okay, So the religion which the child then follows at this stage is one of custom and upbringing. Because he's young, he just follows his parents, and Allah does not hold him accountable. But when he reaches an uh, uh, age of majority or maturity into adulthood, he or she must now follow the religion of knowledge and reason. And this is Islam. That's why when Allah decided to choose the very first revelation, if I'm God, if I want to tell people about me, I will say, my first revelation would be, I am God. Because I am God. But Allah does, is not egoistic. He doesn't need all this. Because it's a religion of knowledge and reason. He says, mm-hmm. So He gives them a way in which to think about these things. The significance of the first revelation. Okay, so as adults now, people must now struggle between the natural disposition towards God and their desires in order to find the correct path. The call to Islam is directed to this primordial nature, the natural disposition, the fitrah, the imprint of God on your soul, uh, which caused the souls of every living being to agree that He who made them was their Lord even before the heavens and the earth were created. So in Surah Al-Dharyat, the famous verse of 56, Allah says, I did not create the jinns and mankind. Except to serve me. Because we have been embedded with this even before we become a physical person. So is there any other reason, any other places in the Quran that Allah makes this clear? Yeah, there are many. But today I'm just going to talk about that and another one which is in Suratul muluk Verse 2, Allah says, Alladhi al mawta wal hayata ayyukum ahsanu amala. وَهُوَ azizul kafur, He who created death and life so that he can test you amongst yourself which of you are the best indeed in your actions. And Allah is the exalted in mind and most forgiving. So we can summarize for this last five minutes that thus far, we know that our purpose in life is number one, to know and to serve Allah. Number two, what you're going through life is a test. All of it is a test. And you know, the thing is, some people will find it quite strange. Why would Allah want to create all this and test us? For what? If you think of this question, it just points out that you are not considering the fact that this life that you are here is all temporary. You have accepted the fact that this is going to be forever. That's why you don't accept the fact that Allah is testing you by giving you this temporariness. Hmm. okay so in a a gist (laughs) there are many other verses but you know just just want to
0: highlight because i thought you shared something very inspiring at the same time and Mm. uh, beautiful um that all our souls had the imprint of the belief of one god Mm. even before we even take the form of a human being right all the way up god already asked us you know who is your lord and why you created for you created to worship me and to serve me so we are brought down to earth as a test that you just showed uh in the uh, the surah muluk which is a uh, verse two yeah where he will test us to see if you know we... you remember what you just said right yeah you, 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 whether
2: yeah. you remember you're testifying before God
0: yeah and you said uh, about how we were born pure and clean and to the point that you know, like a sheep yeah. or an animal that's born pure. It's only us who started to change its natural form, right. uh, where we start to you know either become other other face or what. Right. Yeah. So that that uh, really strike a chord in my heart because uh, that is like so profound. It, that's it, why becoming Muslims.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's why becoming Muslims is a natural thing eventually, once you discover it.
0: Yeah. Right. It's
2: not. It's not like a man-made sort of
0: like you know. Our uh, religion is a man-made thing, or it's uh you know it's come out from nowhere. and
2: Yeah, it's... it cannot. If you want to have a topic <laughs> on this, we will have no end talking about this. Like just <laughs> at the Quran itself, like it's not possible that it's done by men. You want to see how it's done by men? Look at the Bible. That's done by men. Let's not go <laughs> deep into that, but you know, yeah, you can see it clearly, right? Yeah. So this <laughs> is this is not done by men, and when you look at Today, I was talking about uh, Zul Qarnain in al Kafi. We look at how Allah always talks about we give him a way and he always followed the way. And we look at the prophets in which Allah has uh, sent to us in the perfection because the one who is perfect guided them to be perfect. Right? So, there's, there's just no way. Yeah. Oh. Okay, today is very very good. (laughs) Speechless. Yeah, speechless. speechless. You must must understand probably probably uh, this is new information for you, but it's all in Mm. the Quran. It's not me. It's Mm. all in the Quran. It's just reading it and and knowing where it is. That's all. Mm. Right? So it's that's a treasure trove.
0: So Mm. so God God tests us. Okay, you uh, roughly again, why did God test us and why is it Important for us to believe that the hereafter, and heaven and hell yeah. exist. Yeah.
2: Okay, so so that, before we go there, maybe I want to talk about something yeah. like logically, right? After you know that God created us, and you talk about Him being the most powerful, uh, you know, why do He why does He need to be worshipped? Yeah. Because one of the main common uh, questions that I get from from people who want to know about Islam is that, you know your God is so egotistical that He needs to be worshipped five times a day or more. And the way you worship Him, you need to prostrate. Whereas we probably just need to go and worship Him once a week and then we sing songs and we'll be happy. And then, you know, know, that kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. people always ask me and maybe this might be a relevant question that might lead up to why He tests us. So we need to know Him first. Okay, so the real reason behind why Allah commands us to worship and serve Him, despite Him being all-powerful and independent of His creation, is that it is not Allah that benefits from the commands that He gives us, but because He is independent of us, but we are the ones who benefit from complying with His commands. For example, if Allah commands us to abstain from eating pork, the blood or animals found it, or if He forbids us from drinking alcohol, It is not Allah who benefits from us not doing these things. We are the ones who suffer physically and spiritually if you disobey Him by consuming these things. And this applies to everything that Allah commands us to do or prohibits us from doing. And I give you one very simple and very uh, real example. Prayer. This is something that is probably the most difficult for someone who wants to enter Islam. So whenever I do conversion, I always ask, so how how do you see this prayer? You must wake up tomorrow 5.30 and it's five times a day, (laughs) not once a week. And there's no singing involved or dancing. There's no playing music. It's really you know, bowing, prostrate, prostrating. And for most people, they said, yeah, it's a bit of a challenge. And I said, okay, don't worry about it. Because the, in truth, in the reality, all the Muslims out there, including myself, when we were young, we didn't pray five times a day. And some of the adult Muslims now also don't pray five times a day. But it's okay. Okay, you are a new Muslim, you pray one time a day first. And then next week, Two times, and then three times, four times, five times, and within one or two months, so you, you can pray five times. Right? Uh, anyone who says that praying five times is easy, they're bluffing you. <laughs> As a new I'm telling you, it's, it's a challenge. <laughs> right? So then, why did Allah ask us to pray five times? So even if you don't pray, know this, it does not reduce His sovereignty a bit. We pray while worshipping Allah to ask for guidance, to ask for forgiveness, to attain a state of peace, to relearn the lesson of humility, to remind us of our absolute dependence on Him, to force us to embrace our weaknesses, even though we may be holding powerful status within our job or our community. Okay, that's just one part. You know, we talk about prayer, we can have two or three sessions. Eh? And when we pray jama'ah at home, hopefully, you know, you pray jama'ah as Imam at home for the guys. We foster. Bonds of family relationships, number one. We exercise leadership, number two. We nurture our family to live a wholesome family, Islamic family life. Number four, we will be, our family will be protected. Our children will grow up being guided. Everyone will know, will learn how to ask for guidance, protection and safety from Allah. And they won't ask for police from police or from their gangs or mafia or whatever because we have Allah. And these are the benefits that we derive, some of it by just simply praying. Obeying the command. Right? So don't get trapped with the argument by others that say Allah is an egotistical God who needs to be worshipped five times a day. These are accusations coming from the ignorance. You know you need to do it because you know you need the assistance from Allah. Mm. So in a beautiful and clear hadith Qusi, I'm gonna share with you hadith hadith is like like can I just say, Oh my god, it's so beautiful. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, you know this hadith. is... Like, it's, oh my God. <laughs> so, this is in Sahih Muslim. So, Allah says, through the Prophet, He says, oh my servants, even the first in amongst you and the last incarnation amongst you and even the whole of human race of yours and that of the genes even combined together, become God conscious, like the, the, like the heart of the most God conscious person amongst you. That means super taqwa. That would add nothing to my power. SubhanAllah. Wow. Oh my... Haven't finished. It's a long one. Oh my servants, even if the first incarnation amongst you and the last incarnation amongst you and the whole human race of yours and you combine it with the genes amongst you in unison becomes the most wicked like the heart of a single person that would take nothing away from my power. Mashallah. That's why I say this like, oh my God, hadith. I haven't, yeah. finished. I haven't finished. Oh my servants even the first incarnation amongst you and the last incarnation amongst you and the whole human race of yours and you combine it with all the genes, stand in one plain ground and you ask me and I give and and respond and I answer all the prayers of the people there who ask me for it. It would not in any way cause any loss to me any more than which is lost to the ocean by dipping a needle in it. Well wow, my blue Roman that so thing <laughs> oh my god I told you it's an oh my god hadith <laughs> wow. and then wow. last like part, hadith. he says oh, oh my servants hmm. it is but your deeds that I reckon up for you and then recompense you for it so let him who finds good praise Allah and let him who finds other than that blame no one but himself <laughs> Epitome of Allah's love for us in this hadith alone.
0: Wow, Akbar.
2: wow, this yes. is such a beautiful <laughs> hadith. I think,
0: like, it should be a frame on my wall. <laughs> yeah, you can, you <laughs> can find this hadith, Google it, because
2: it's it really like, I don't know, I don't but, know about your goose. goose bumps, I mean, you know, I mean goosebumps up. coming out. Up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, and, and it's and the true. Way, hmm. There's no Sorry. malice at all in the way that Allah speaks this. Like, mm. if you do good things, nothing happens to me. If you do bad things, nothing happens to me. If you ask and everybody in the whole world, including the jinns, everybody, single person, asks, ask, ask. I will give everybody else and it doesn't reduce me. Hmm. Look, he said, I only look at you through your deeds and I will reward you for it. So if you find good, you're not, you, you don't owe me anything. He said, if you find good, he said, praise him. SubhanAllah. If you find other than me, then blame no one except yourself. I mean, even our parents don't say nicely like this when they call us. <laughs> I mean, how beautiful this saying of this hadith could see, subhanAllah. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, just like looking one of these two of these hadith, I tell myself, okay, enough, like, enough. I, I'm, I'm grateful to be a Muslim just based on this hadith alone. Sometimes, <laughs> you know, without even thinking about other things else. So, okay. there's nothing that we can do to increase or decrease the nature of Allah as, as He is absolutely independent of His creation. And he only forbids what is harmful and enjoins what is good, beneficial, and that shows his true mercy. That is his true mercy.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Were Allah not merciful and intent only to serve himself, like what they claim? We find that all the commandments and prohibitions only benefit him and not us. Mm-hmm. Again, to prove this point, Allah says it in another hadith, could see. And there's also another beautiful one. And this is in Sahih Muslim as well. He says, O oh, my servants, I have made oppression unlawful for me and unlawful for you. So do not commit oppression against one another. O oh, my servants, all of you are liable to commit an error except when I guide him on the right path. So seek right guidance from me so that I should direct you to the right path. Look at this, the, the sayanness, the way Allah speaks. Huh? Oh, my Mm. servants, all of you are hungry and needy, except whom I feed. So ask food from me, so that I may feed you. Hello, okay. my (laughs) 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 Luckily, I'm wearing this thick jacket. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my servants, all of you, except whom I provide garments, so ask clothes from me, so that I may cloth you. Oh, my servants, you commit error by night and day, and I'm there to pardon your sins. So ask pardon from me, so that I should grant you pardon. And finally... Oh, my servants, you can neither do me any harm, nor neither can you do me any good. Sahih Muslim. Wow. An absolutely independent God, but absolutely nurturing in the way that He is taking care of all of us. This shows His mercy, His nurturing way, His very guiding manners, who loves His creation so much that He only commands goodness from us. So, He provides guidance and tips on how not to fall into error, of our own ways, clearly hoping to save us from our own selves. And this is not an egotistical God which the Indian claims. And that's why we worship Him.
0: MashaAllah. I mean, this is, um, I just want to add that, you know, um, yeah, it's true that, that, I mean, I came across people who say that, you know, why is God so selfish? He's so egotistical. He needs us to worship Him and pray every time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, if you really look at it right, you must always know that God is all-powerful. The God yeah. you worship is all-powerful, creator of everything.
2: He don't need your prayer. He don't need you. <laughs> so, he, yeah, he don't even need... You, know, you, know, I tell you, not only you. He said, if I'm bored with you, i just destroy all of you in one go that's yeah, it I remind <laughs> you with the creation oh my god yeah. like he's telling us like, don't action-action basically <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah exactly so that is yeah. the god we are worshipping the god yeah. that is so powerful beyond anything so yeah. he doesn't need anything from you but what he's yes. giving you is the medicine for your soul like he gives yeah. you the prayers to help you to, to you know find the medicine to come towards yeah. him it's actually all for your own sake that you Correct. know you find him but it's not it's not like oh, it's so that he become a greater God. He's already too great. <laughs> the yeah. no more greater yeah. than great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think uh, yeah. yeah. So so well said. Yeah, Sister Risi, you have a question, right? I think we kind of waiting for mm-hmm. to ask a question.
4: <laughs>
1: um, yeah, one of the later questions I had just um, is there any proofs or existence of heaven or hell? Like, why does Allah, you know, allow people to go to hell essentially because or is it that something we do ourselves or is it that he actually casts us into hell or Mm. something we we slip from his light and then we just cast ourselves into the darkness like what is the concept of hell in islam
2: good question however (laughs) all of you are skipping skipping points here we Mm -hmm. we, before you answer that question good question and and i will come back to you again we must ask ourselves an, an important perennial question why does god test us So that we can pass or fail, then we can talk about heaven and hell, right? Make sense that way? Okay, Okay, let's let's. So, so why does God test us to see who has
0: uh, greater taqwa?
2: (laughs) Okay, yeah, because in Surah Muluk we say, I give you life and death in order to test you, right? Who are you? Are the best in deeds, okay? Yeah, Um, we chose any other
3: other reason. to, uh, to 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 uh, to basically okay. find out if we are following our purpose of life, which is to yes. know Him and yeah. worship it's
2: Him. It's important to talk about the purpose of life early on. So now He's going to test you, just like you already say, Shahada, Allah bala Shahidna. So He tests you. Are you work, are you doing according to what you have just testified? So is is that is that sense okay? Any other reason?
0: Um, we chose to be tested. With um. He chose to be tested because uh, what I understand is angels do not have free will. In a the sense, oh, they okay. are created to worship him, and we want yeah. to be a degree above the angels. So we, yeah, we to be want to undergo yeah, this test because we have yeah, free will. The Quran will. talks about that. Yes.
2: Yeah. But that's a very deep topic. Okay, nothing. <laughs> but anyway, so uh, I mean, we say Wallahu Alam. There are many reasons, and only Allah knows best why He tests us. But from the things that he, he shared with us in the Quran and the Prophet teaching us a few things, we can fathom some thesis with regards to uh, why He tests us. First of all, we need to understand the nature of this test. Okay, and Surah Al verse 2, He says, do people think that just because they have claimed, uh, I believe that they will not be tested? In fact, you and I know the people that are tested most are the prophets, the one closest to Allah. Your test and my test is maybe hungry today, maybe lose job tomorrow, maybe somebody passed away. The prophet, his, their lives are always at stake 24 hours a day. And you see like Nabi, Nabi Ayub losing his, his family, his wealth, his position in life, everything gone. But his faith is better than for all of us who still have a lot of things. So, from this verse, we know that we, as believers, we must expect tests given to us. The higher our level of faith, the higher the test. So, don't just expect that simple test. Because you, have, you and I have subscribed to something else which is more uh, practical. So, for example, you, we all went to school. We mm-hmm. were in primary school or junior school. And we take the PSLE and then we pass. If you pass, then you go to high school. Then you take O levels. If you pass your so the question in O level is different from your question in PSLE, right? Your question in first year university is different from your question in first year masters or PhD. Cannot be the same. Cannot be the same. Right? So your your test will be dependent on what level you are at. Okay. So don't compare. How come? How come my test is just like this? Your test is like that. You know. So don't compare amongst amongst each other. So. The thesis that Allah provides when facing this test is contained in Surat al Baqarah and is the most important thesis and is chapter 2, verse 153. Allah says, Which means, O oh, you who believe, seek help through patience and prayer. Indeed, Allah is with those who are patient. So, there are a few things that we need to highlight here. Number one, if you are tested, if you're going through some form of difficulties, number one, it's not prayer, you know, it's not Quran, it's be patient. Because that is the reason why Allah put that first. Uh, ista'inu be sabri, patient, wassalah, and then prayer. Because if you have no patience, you won't pray. Yeah. And then another in- significant thing about this verse is Allah says, Inna Allah ma'as sabirin. And the word ma'a is very important. Because in a rare place in the Quran, Allah says that I am with, together with those who are patient. So another easier way to understand is, you know, inna usra, inna, fa inna usra, for every difficulty there is, uh, there, is uh, usra, there is a uh, leeway, that yeah. be uh, a comfort. comfort yeah. So I've always understood this to mean that when you face difficulty, there will be ease coming. But then I just woke up one day and like, wait a minute, I've read this verse for so much, so long, so often, and I read, inna ma'al usri yusra, fa inna ma'al usri yusra. Allah is not saying, after every difficulty, there's ease. No, He's saying, with difficulty, together, there's ease. Yeah. That is the word, "ma'a" together, and which is used in this one inna ma'a So, then it, it changes the whole worldview. To me, it's whenever there's difficulty, Allah also shows the way out, together. But you know why? Our focus is always on the difficulty, so we don't see the way out. But if you believe in the verse of Allah, He says it is together. And that's why after a while, after we cool down, after we take one or two weeks, we talk to our friends, and then we can see that, oh, there is a way out. Subhanallah. Okay? Okay? And Allah promised that He will definitely test us in diff, various ways, and this uh, is a promise Allah gives in the Quran. And in, in verse one five five, Al Baqarah, Allah says, and definitely, I will test you with khawf, with fear. So, you must have feared something in your life, right? Or, or if you're if not, then you will face it definitely because Allah says, "Walanabluwanakum Confirm you're going to do this to you, and we're going to test you with joy, with hunger. Okay, I don't know about you, but most of us, uh, uh, you know, study overseas. So we have gone through a period where, you know, not to tell a sad story, but I've been through a stage where, in the US, I was, when I was student, I had, had no money. I buy one box of cereal. I <laughs> ate the same box for three days, and there's no milk; it's just cereal. And sometimes when I'm eating, I feel like I don't know whether to cry or to laugh at myself because I'm so pathetic. Before the next paycheck come in, you know. But you know when you're living with parents, no money. Pa, mom cooks something. Dad cooks something. Or grandma, grandpa, whatever. You know it's always easy. So he's gonna test you with fear, with hunger, and then he says, "Wanaksi minal amwal" and the loss of amwal of your wealth. That you know you were, you, you, suddenly, you suddenly become millionaire. Eh, maybe Bitcoin suddenly it crash. Pop suddenly become zero <laughs> negative. Well <laughs> right? wal that means the loss of life, somebody passed away, something close to you, dear to you that you depend on, you know, that you love so much. You will go through this. And then the last one was Samarat and the fruits of your labor. That you've done a project on a computer and you work so hard, two straight weeks, no sleep at all, no balance in life. So you didn't sleep and Allah says, eh, no balance, up. Pop, computer died. All information gone. You, (laughs) we say you smile. Have you gone through this
4: before? (laughs) (laughs) As
2: students of higher learning, we have gone through this before, right? And this will happen especially if you do not have a balance in our lives. Like I said, we spend two weeks without, you know, praying without whatever, just just on it. Then Allah goes on to say, for those who have gone through this, give good tidings to those who are patient. And the next verse, after promising that He will test us with those different verses of test, He show us His mercy. He provides us with the answer in verse 156. He says, whoever that is afflicted with such calamity, and they say, inna wa inna To Allah we come, and to, to Allah we belong, and to Allah we shall return. I think this is not just, uh, number one, not just a verbal reaction uh by saying wa but it's a way of mental prep uh preparation. If you keep on saying this and you if you understand what it means and you believe in what it means, that means you are always prepared that nothing is permanent. Your handphone that you have will lose. So when you lose your handphone, what do you say? Uh Fidel's Alhamdulillah. MashaAllah. <laughs> no, alhamdulillah. <laughs> okay, alhamdulillah. What else can you say? Okay, say. I just uh, say. Can't ease. No. Inna lila wa inna ilah so, no. in the Malay culture, I'm not sure, you know, in other parts of the world, we usually attribute this to when someone dies. It's not only when someone dies. Whenever you face calamity, you lose something based on the categories that we spoke about earlier in verse 155. Okay? Mm. So, if you have conditioned your mind to accept that everything is out, nothing is permanent, that everything is temporary, nothing lasts, then Allah describes you as this kind of person. He says, Ula'ika alaihim salawatun wa humul These are the people who have been granted blessings and mercy from Allah, and these are the ones who are guided. Imagine Allah gives you His blessings, salawatun warahma, and His mercy then you are the person who gets guided. So that's number one. right? That's the thesis and how you, you overcome it. The second reason why he tests us is because these tests are meant to purify us. Okay? Hardship and adversity is decreed by God as a cleansing of our souls uh, for sins that we have committed. Therefore, some of the bad things that we have done uh, is a direct result of the sins that we have we have committed. And so this Tests are meant to clarify from this in Ashura. In Ashura. Allah says, asabakum min musibatin kasabat an kathir. And whatever strikes you of disaster that you experience it is what you have done upon yourself. But remember, Allah pardons much. Okay, the third reason why Allah tests us is that it's, it acts as a reminder so that we are able to appreciate his blessings more, which we usually take for granted. Okay. And so there's a beautiful saying, another beautiful thing I want to share with you. It, this scholar called Imam Attaila as Asakandari wrote this amazingly difficult book called Al-Hikam. And he says, sometimes he gives while depriving you, and sometimes he deprives you in giving. I repeat slower. Sometimes he gives while depriving you, and sometimes, He deprives you, by giving. Mm. Sometimes, we, all we want, we always pray, I want this, I want this, I want that, but actually, the way that Allah loves you, is by not giving you, what you want, because you'll be totally lost. Right? In Surah mm. Ibrahim, verse 34, Allah says, if you count Allah's blessings, you can never count them. Indeed, the human being, is always transgressing, unappreciative. That's how Allah is kept up. And then you juxtapose it with Surah Fusilat verse 51 when Allah says, when we bless the human being, he turns away and drifts further and further away. And when he suffers any affliction, he improves be. Meaning, if we are in difficulty, we're always like, we've never solat hajat, but we salah solat we salah we baca Quran, we fast, we do sedekah, all, all we do. And then, Ya Allah, please lift me from this problem. And then Allah lifts it from, from you. And then what you do? You stop your tahajud, stop your Quran, stop your charity, stop. Because I like, forget really because my life is good. Okay, so Allah is not an uh, uh, ant. Uh, what's that uh, thing that you always complain, like you tell your problem, and aunt...
4: mm-hmm.
2: uh, Maybe not your generation. In my generation, there's this column where really you <laughs> have <any problem. laughs> You write to the papers or whatever, it's called an agony or maybe like, an agony. And then you're an okay. agony of a so Allah is not an agony, where you only go to Him when you have a problem. You cannot treat him that way. Okay? And th- another thing in Surah Yunus verses 22 to 23, Allah says, He is the one who moves you across the land and sea. You get onto the ships and they sail smoothly in nice breeze. Then by rejoicing therein, violent wind blows and the waves surround them from every side. This is when they begin to implore Allah sincerely, devoting their praise to him alone, saying, if you only save us this time, we will be eternally appreciative. That's your promise. Mm. And then the next verse, Allah says, but as soon as we save them, they transgress on earth and oppose the truth. Oh, people, your transgression is only to the detriment of your own souls. You remain preoccupied with this worldly life, then to us is your ultimate return. Then we will inform you of what you have done. Okay, so that's, that's number three. The reason number four why he tests us is that this test that Allah has given to us is so that we are able to return to a state of submission to him. For us to throw behind all the things that distract us from Allah before, to be more focused on our final destination. And Surah Fatir, he says, O oh, mankind, you, you are in a complete need of Allah. Wallahu wal hamid. For He is free of all your needs. He is the most praiseworthy. Okay. So what should be our attitude when we face with, with life's tests? You know, and this is for, for most of us out there, the viewers. Hopefully, it can help you. First, know that Allah will not burden us more than we can shoulder. La nafsan Baqarah, the last verse. On no soul shall Allah place a burden greater than it can bear. And in that same verse, we also make another doa. We say, Rabbana wala tuhamilna ma la Which means, Ya Allah... Do not lay upon us a, show, a burden greater than we have the strength to bear. So, inshallah, Allah, reward, Allah answers that prayer. Okay. The second attitude is, despite the test, don't give up. Always remember Allah. Always be grateful for the test as He meant to purify us and bring us closer to Him. Because He says, Therefore, remember me, I will remember you. And so, if that relationship in a state of cyclical remembrance, you are safe. Because Allah is always in your mind. You are always in Allah's mind. And be thankful to me and do not deny faith. Do not be ungrateful. Do not deny the blessings. Because if you if you don't, then I will increase and increase and increase the blessings that I've given you. So, that's how you get out of a state of your test. And lastly, uh <laughs> Spider-Man is coming, right? The movie, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I want to share a similar hadith. Okay, that's not hadith, but you know, the, the principle is like the hadith. So you know where it's taken from. In Sunan Tirmizi, the Prophet wasallam said, great reward comes with great trials. When Allah loves a people, He tests them. And whoever accepts it, attains His pleasure. Whereas whoever shows discontent with it, incurs His wrath. So let us be a group of people who always keeps Allah in our mind and in our heart, guided by the ways of our beloved Prophet, and always be in a state of radar and be grateful for whatever Lord Allah has before us. But so surely, He guarantees that we will be able to pass the test if you hold on to patience and to faith, inshallah. Inshallah.
0: I, I like how you said about uh, just quickly uh, how you said about Allah taking away something from you which is actually giving you and giving you something which is actually taking away. And you can look at this from, you know, people who get rich, right? Or get suddenly, suddenly overnight become a very, very rich person. So they tend to like, oh, what should I do? I should spend money on this. I should buy this and buy that. But they forgot.
2: Once they get to need, they forget.
0: (laughs) They straight away forget. You know, straight away, I should thank God and everything. So, I mean, Mm. it's evident that you know it's, it's, people tend to do the opposite of what was intended yeah. in the first place so I think that's a very uh, very very beautiful
2: part of the whole sharing Yeah, i give you something personal when I was young yeah. and stupid <laughs> I used to make doa Ya Allah make me a millionaire last time millionaire was a lot of money la, when I was young <laughs> now air, nothing, I, I, I used to pray like quite regularly make me a millionaire and then and then I came to a point where, and I asked Allah Allah why I asked so many times you never make me a millionaire <laughs> I'm still not a millionaire now, you know. So mm-hmm. I realized that, yeah, I, I know myself. Maybe if I'm a millionaire, a billionaire, I would never be doing this. You know, mm. I would never, I will forget all the things that I wanted to do when I, I didn't have anything. So we, most of us get what we got because Allah loves us and gives us suitable to our condition. Right. Mm. So. Yeah, so now I want to go back to Rucy's question. You you're asking whether uh why is it important to in yeah. heaven and hell? <laughs> Do you believe in heaven and hell?
0: <laughs> well, um, yeah, I mean I, I studied this somewhere in philosophy in school before, mm. uh, mm-hmm. about you know how people say that you need to understand sadness, you no, know, you need to experience sadness before you can know what's happiness, and you need to <laughs> have happiness before you know my like sadness yeah. so they say that if heaven is everything that's all good and happy and peaceful and then hell is all like terrible stuff mm-hmm. so would you not consider heaven is a place on earth where you have both you know good and bad stuff happening at the same time mm. so this is one of the discussions they had yeah, yeah. I mean,
2: a good question. So Bilal, what do you think?
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, I believe, and that's. Uh, I mean, there is clear evidence uh, in in our Islamic text about this. Um, <laughs> I think you know, it's uh, we we kind of uh, already experience in this dunya what's hell. Uh, and mm-hmm. what's heaven, different circumstances, right? Yeah. Uh, whether good things happen to us or not. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, one of the things I wanted to mention uh, that that is kind of correlated as well is, uh, uh, you know, if we were to stop praying or praising Allah when good things happen to us, mm-hmm. then does that mean that we don't really trust Allah, we don't know him or we, do you get my, my point yeah. as well?
2: So, only when uh, things work out in the way that we wanted that, then we, we, we praise Allah. If not, then we, we forgot Him. Yeah, so, in a way, yeah, you're right. It's rude. Yeah, we're testing Him. Right? We don't have enough faith in Him. right? So, my bigger problem with uh, talking about uh, hell and uh, heaven is this. If there is no heaven and hell, I have just one question for all of you. What is the point?
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> why do I have to do all this? Why have to do all that? Why? Do, why can I just go clubbing and, you know, dancing, dancing, or get drunk, or whatever? why? I, I should do all of this if there's no heaven and hell. Like, what's the point of Allah making us doing doing all this? Right. So there must be, uh, you know, heaven and hell as we know it. So in the basic tenet of our Islamic belief, we have uh, every Muslim must believe in in Allah, angels, prophets, revelation. Um, last day and the day of judgment and Allah's qada uh, and khadar. These are basic tenets. If our faith is not strong on any of them, then we must learn more so with knowledge. So with knowledge, hopefully increase our conviction and hopefully increase our faith. So a good doa to learn that the Prophet taught us. So I want to teach you another doa uh, today, which I myself recite every prayer will be, Allahumma ahina bil iman. Ya Allah, let me live with iman. Wa bil iman. Let me die in iman. Wa bil iman. Let me be resurrected in the day of judgment in iman. And wa jannata ma'al iman. And let me enter paradise with iman. So that our iman, no matter how it wavers, will always be. There will always be iman. Inshaallah. And that's mm-hmm. about faith, right? So whenever we're asked to do something, it's our very nature that we think about its benefits and its costs. Cost-benefits analysis, right? We regard if something that is that does not have uh, worthy cost and benefit is useless and so unnecessary and we won't do it. Yeah? So the question, what's the point? <laughs> Similarly, we are not eager to avoid a thing if it is harmless. Okay, so after all, let me give you another uh, metaphor, I suppose. Why does a child put his hand in the fire? He does that because as a young child, he does not know, he's not sure that fire burns. So the conviction is less. So in contrast, why would an adult not put his hand in the fire? Because he already knows that his hand is going to burn. So, if one does not believe in the hereafter, that after one dies, there's the end of the story, so what is the point of Allah commanding or prohibiting us to do a certain thing? Right? If at the end of the day, it brings us the same results. So, as human beings, we are motivated by rewards and avoid doing things that will harm us. This is where the concept of heaven and hell fits in. So, let me ask you, if there's no repercussions and accountability for your actions and decisions, or to put it another way, If God is indifferent to the beliefs and actions of both the good and the bad, where? Where is his ultimate justice? Right? Which which, which affects us as well. Because we are governed by Allah. So to balance his providence and to fulfill that justice, there has to be a hell as there has to be a heaven. So if we think about it, we can see that the belief in resurrection and in the hereafter is a natural follow-up of the belief in the aspect that this world is temporary. Human life on this planet is short. Willingly or unwillingly, we have to bid farewell. So everyone, whether you know you have the skills of Shakespeare or Isaac Newton, will have to accept the fact that you are going to go. If death is the end of existence, all the great achievements that people have gained in the world will disappear, like footprints in the sand as far as these people are concerned. So, they will not be able to have the satisfaction that their work is being appreciated by later generations. On the flip side, what about the terrible terrible crimes and acts of uh, injustice some humans commit? If people are able to elude the legal machinery of the world, there is no way the carpets can be brought to justice. And then, what happens to our idea of justice? So, as Muslims... Uh, It is with good reason and firm conviction that we declare that all our actions and motives behind them are subject to the perfect justice of God. And in our attempts to achieve this, we are bound to strive our utmost to lead a life of goodness. So, do we see us? Are there any proofs of heaven and hell? And Bilal said there are many in our books. You're right. Human nature always requires proof, so that's fine. Don't worry, we're not short of proofs. We'll go through them. What I'm going to say is just one of every aspect. There are a lot more in the Quran. But by fundamental beliefs, we believe of the six rukun iman, uh, the articles of faith. Now, let me ask uh, uh, both either Fridaus or Bilal, because you've attended my classes before. So, we talk about articles of faith. We have faith in them, right? In Allah and angels and all that. Why? Why do you have faith in Allah and angels and all of these things, the six things, the rukun iman?
0: Because I believe in God and God says... Yeah, why do them. you believe?
2: I remember I used, I, I talk about this in class and I give the example of Madonna or something, some superstar. <laughs> okay, R- Rishi, do you, do you want to attempt? Why do we believe in the six things that we believe?
1: Because it's sent down to us by Allah.
2: <laughs> yeah, but if you don't believe in the six things, you won't believe in Allah and there's nothing else to believe. Because, because
1: like, maybe because maybe the six things are ways to kind of establish our relationship with Allah. And if we don't do them, you know, we don't have a relationship with Allah. Then, yeah.
2: Okay, good attempt. But I'll give you a simpler, simpler answer. <laughs> you have faith in all these six things, Rukun Iman, or the articles of faith because you cannot see them. Right, I give you an example. Let's say let's use another celebrity because Spiderman is coming. So if, if I tell you, hey, by the way, I noticed Tom Holland is watching this live stream. You <laughs> you laugh? Or do you believe me, Carlos? <laughs> I believe, you, I believe. You. Hey Tom, <laughs> <laughs> watching to Is it? <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. What if let's now we have four of us. Let's say there's a fifth person, and instead of Iskandar is Tom Holland as a panelist. And so wow. I ask this question, uh, Firdaus. Do you believe? Do you Do you have faith that Tom Holland is with us today? Uh, ah, tricky question. Philosophies to you... get an answer this properly. <laughs> hmm. Tom Depends Holland. What you mean by here? The guy number five. <laughs> Faster. That depends on what you mean by here. No, 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 no. Don't complicate things. Just answer me. Do you believe that Tom Holland is here or not? Yes, he's here. No, you cannot <laughs> know him. you don't need faith. Because you can see Tom Holland physically on the screen. So there's no mm. faith required. Okay. Remember? And that's why we believe in Allah and angels and so on and so forth in evolution because we don't experience this. And our faith is tantamount and is, is dependent on this faith that we have. Okay? I just <laughs> Remember the that class that. many years ago? <laughs> <laughs> okay. so, so when we say that we are Muslims, we confirm that we believe that there is a God, we believe mm-hmm. this revelation and so on and so forth because we can't see any of this. Even the last day in the hereafter, we can't see it because it's not happened yet. Even thinking logically, we know that heaven and hell must exist otherwise what is the point of our submission? Let's see some proofs in the Quran and Hadith regarding heaven and hell. Okay, so, the, so I'm just going to go through again. I'm going to use the exact verses I used in that class, and hopefully it will jog bog down some memory. Okay, number one, I'm going to go through quite quickly. Allah says in Suratul He says, "Does men think that he will be left aimless?" In Suratul al verse seven, do they not think that they shall be raised up again? These are the kind of things. And you don't find this in the Bible. Allah questions you. He doesn't tell you that it's going to happen. He asks you to think about it, and then in Surah Al-Muminun, verse one one five, Allah says, "Do you not think that do you think that we have created you in vain and that you will not be returned to us?" He wants you to use your own logic, your own mind, to answer to this question, looking at nature. Is this something that is so impossible to happen? And then there are also those who doubt that you're going to be resurrected. So he says in Surah Al-Yasin verse 78 to 79 he says he man says who can give life to bones which have dried up tell them muhammad he says he will give them life who created them for the first time for he is cognizant of all creation the very person the very god that created you the very god that uh, in you know made human beings in the first time can recreate you back after your bones have dried up And to a very specific way, in Surah Al-Qiyamah, he says, does man think that we shall not gather his bones? And when you are resurrected, look, he says, we are able to make complete his very fingertips. That Allah will make you as distinct and as unique as you are right now and to recreate you back again. After all, he has created you from nothing before. What's so difficult about recreating you back again, resurrecting you back again from your tattered bones? And he make that so exact until your fingertips, and you know, wow. like you know, we all have very unique fingerprints. Mm-hmm. Okay? and then Surah, Surah Muhammad, Allah chapter forty seven, verse fifteen, Allah says in the description of paradise, which the righteousness are promised, wherein are rivers of water unaltered, pure water, and then rivers of milk, the taste of which never changes. Listen again. Rivers of wine, delicious to those who drink. And rivers of purified honey, in which they will have from all kinds of fruits and forgiveness from their Lord. Like that of those who abide eternally in the fire, they are given to drink scalding water that will sever their intestines. So Allah gives you a lot of of, uh, picture here. He gives you rivers of water, of milk, of wine, of honey. All this represents drinks of all forms, of all types, of all kinds of opulence. Whatever you want, you can get. Like you want Coke, you can get. You want Bandung, you can get. <laughs> but if you are in hellfire, the only water that's available for you would be scalding water and that will sever and burn your intestines. Okay, in Sahih Bukhari, the Prophet said, he described Jannah when he visited heaven in this words, He says, I came upon a river in paradise, the banks of which were made of pearls. Right? I asked Jibril, Ya Jibreel, what is this river? Jibril replied, this is Al-Kawthar. So, inna a'tawina kal Kawthar. So, that verse, Kawthar, give only to the Prophet Muhammad wasallam, And whoever enters paradise... Before you enter the gates of paradise, you have a sip of this water from Kautha of which the banks are made of pearls. Can you just imagine the, 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 the luxury and opulence of that kind of river compared to the river that you have? Mud, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sand, algae <laughs> and all the discharges <laughs> that you, know, you don't even want to think about. Okay, and then in, in Suratul Baqarah, Allah talks about the gardens the most important or convincing definition of paradise is a beautiful garden with greenery and flowing water. He says, amanu wa salihat anna lahum tajri min But give glad tidings to those who believe and work righteousness that their portion is gardens beneath which rivers flow. What river? Four kinds of water that flows under it. Choose whatever you want in Suratul Baqarah. In Jannah, Allah describes, you will be reunited with a family. He says in Surah an Nisa, So, whoever obeys God and the Messenger, those will be with the ones upon whom God has bestowed favor. And who are they? Minan nabin, amongst the prophets, was Sadiqin, the, uh, the one who is steadfast and the one who are truth, uh, was shuhada, the one who are uh, martyrs, and was Salihin. And the one who are righteous. And Allah says these are the best and the most excellent of any companions. Okay? And that Jannah is an eternal home. In Shatul Baqarah, again, verse 82, he says, Heaven is the everlasting place to live life according to Islam, where believers will stay forever in peace and happiness. And he says, but those who have faith and work righteousness, they are companions of the garden, they will abide therein forever. Okay, but having given all this picture and there's a lot more like in the Quran, right despite all these descriptions, it will be way, way, way much better than you can imagine that I have described. Allah uses these Im- images because these images are the one that we understand so that it motivates us. Imagine living in your house and, and underneath you will be rivers flowing of honey. Don't you want? You have to take MRT all the way to Singapore River and see a dirty river. <laughs> and this honey, you can just drink from it. You want milk? No problem. Change to milk. You want, want water? Okay, water. Whatever you want, there. Yeah. Right? Because Allah says in Sahih Bukhari, I have prepared for my righteous servants and this will be the people in paradise, what no eye has ever seen, no ears has heard of, and which has never crossed the heart of a man. So my understanding, and I might be wrong, because like in, in truth, nobody can be absolutely right. There are a lot of descriptions of, the, of, of paradise in the hadith and in the Quran. It's true. But in my understanding, after reading this, is that whatever Allah describes is going to be way better because He cannot describe it that way better because we cannot imagine it. Because no eyes has ever seen. We do not know what it means. Uh, no ears has ever heard of. And it's never crossed our mind. So, I always like to give this uh, this this test in class. So, I say, for example, Bilal, if I give you, let's say you go into paradise. I give you two, two presents. Number one, I'm going to give you a palace. Okay. Maybe Buckingham Palace. Okay. And then, or you can choose a palace or you can choose... KQTL which K-T-L. one would you choose K-T-L. KQTL or a Buckingham Palace which one will you choose Lucy which one will you choose KQTL I, I don't know
1: I don't know what KQTL is um, me too
2: we so, to which one will you choose you cannot clarify you just take one me.
1: I mean either or I mean any palace no. okay
2: choose
1: one um what are the names again
2: a Buckingham Palace or KQTL?
1: I don't know the names. I don't know how they look like, but okay.
2: <laughs> so, a palace, probably. Because you, you can Google right now after this and you see how big it is. I take okay. the KQTL. Uh, Bilal, which, the one
1: one one. which one's bigger?
2: <laughs> it's okay. Fidel, which one would you choose? Palace. Palace? Bilal, which one would you choose? Uh, uh. uh, i um, take the KQTL. Why? You want to risk it? KQTL is. Yeah, just, I like uh, to risk it.
3: I think if everybody takes the palace, I think something is
2: not good. Okay, so in this exercise, you risk it. But in reality, most of us would choose something like a, a palace, something that we are familiar with because we don't live in the palaces and Allah wants to give a palace. Uh, I'll take it. And then what is KQTL? I don't know. And I don't want it because it doesn't motivate me right so when Allah describes the Quran that you he will be given a palace and Allah describes the palace it's crystal like or maybe there's a river because you know these things and you can imagine KQTL actually in reality is way much more better than the palace but no point Allah describing it to you because you also don't know where it is okay right so that's that's the beauty that I find through this hadith is it easy to enter paradise Mm. no no
0: no. I, was, I thought I was say it's easy but it's really yes. make it difficult. we see
2: yes easy or no
1: Um, what's the question sorry I'm still <laughs> thinking about KQTL I'm like is... <laughs> forget about it
2: <laughs> did you make yeah.
1: that word up like just yeah it. I just
2: made it up I, okay, I have okay, no there. idea what it is <laughs>
1: okay because I searched it up and I couldn't find KQTL don't stress, don't
2: stress. <laughs> so my question is is it easy to enter paradise Uh. Yes or no? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. I will tell you like uh, theoretically, the Prophet said it's easy. In Sahih Muslim, you know, he said, Do you think that if I somebody came to him, do you think if I perform the obligatory prayers, unit five, no sunnah, fast in Ramadan, no need, nothing sunnah, treat as lawful that which is halal, and treat as forbidden, which is haram, halal, haram, and do not increase upon any sunnah deeds, then I shall enter paradise? And the Prophet answered, Yes. You must have this mindset. Number one, we all came from paradise. And our natural fitra is to go home back to paradise. And that's why you find all these spiritual uh, poets like Rumi always talk about returning home. When he says home, he's saying paradise because that's where we come from. So is it easier to go home from a place that you originate or to a place where you were not from? So, it's easy to go home. So, literally, that's why Islam make it easy for you to go home. Okay, just keep your heart pure. Just try your best. Okay, Be honest with Allah. That's it. How big is paradise? Okay, now I'm going to challenge you. Just now, we, we most of you chose palace, right? How big do you think your palace would be? In Sahih Bukhari, Allah says, there is a tree in paradise such that if a rider travels in its shade for 100 years, he would not be able to cover the whole tree. Imagine wow. this tree is in your house. Can you imagine how big is your house? SubhanAllah. Yeah. Okay, so I want to end up heaven with an updating hadith in Sunan Ahmad. So, and, and this one, Fridaus, you should pay particular attention. Paradise has 100 levels. And between each two levels is a distance like that of the heavens and the earth. So like massive. Al-Firdaus is the highest level from which four rivers of Paradise flow and above which is the throne of Allah. So when you ask, and this is the Prophet asking you, uh, when you ask, ask for Al-Firdaus. Okay, so now in your prayer, don't just say, Ya Allah, let me enter Jannah. No, one high level. I want to enter Firdaus. That is the highest level. At least if you cannot make it, you go down to the next level lah. <laughs> but if you just say, Ya Allah, I just want to enter paradise," uh, uh, 50-50 also can lah. As long as I enter is good enough. Okay, you go to you, you go to the lowest level and then somebody claim your reward pump, you go to Hellfire. Go down. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? So, the Prophet advised us to ask for something higher. Okay, so I just want to end by talking about hellfire. Okay, we talked about the Quran, so let's talk about some hadith. On the other hand, with respect to hellfire, the Prophet said in Sunan Tirmizi, hellfire is lighted upon for a thousand years until it turns red. And then it is lighted upon for another thousand years until it turns white. Not enough. And then it is lighted for another thousand years until it turns black. So hellfire is black and dark, and obviously super hot. Okay, in Sahih Muslim, the Prophet Wasallam said, Verily, the most likely punished of the people of hellfire on the day of resurrection is a man under whose feet are placed two hot coals by which his brain boils. It is so hot that he step on the coal and it will boil his brain. And lastly, the last hadith I'm going to share with you today, tonight is from Hakim Al-Mustadraq. Verily, the people of hellfire will weep so much that if ships tried to sail in their tears, they would sail. Yeah. So, willa, right? Then they will weep blood in place of their tears. And so yeah. these are some of the proof in the hadith and the Quran with regards to... Uh, hellfire and paradise inshallah wow i'm gonna <sighs> make more prayers
0: <laughs> <laughs> i like the i like the part about <laughs> heaven more like you know i feel very inspired the heaven part the hell was scary <laughs> you know the closest thing i've seen is the hopper villa one you know Harper yeah villa? yeah there when was... i was young i went to hopper villa i had nightmares <laughs>
3: Good place to yeah. go for you know re- as a good reminder. Yeah.
0: And now it's
2: econ so you you should go. It's free. <laughs> <laughs> in the com- seeing punishment in the comfort of the echo. <laughs> right? yeah. So we uh,
0: got a question. I remember she okay, said she had a question.
1: Um hmm. Hmm.
0: do you have a question or not?
1: I, I had one where <laughs> I forgot. It. I, I forgot mm. my question, I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: No, no, problem, no problem. Um, yeah, that's okay. I think we don't have much time also because we're like yeah. uh, close to two hours. But yeah. uh, very quickly, there's a uh, one of the viewers who asked, you know, about evolution. You know that that topic. Hmm. Yeah, basically, he wants us to talk a bit about that. But I think um, that's a whole new topic on its own,
2: right? I mean, I can uh, you know, you like material the of... that. So okay. sh- can we believe in the theory of evolution? Mm-hmm. Right? Why do you want to do that? when the one who came up with it has already disproved it. Right? So, the fool is you. Lah. Okay, number one. Number two, I always have this response whenever someone insists on uh, uh, evolution. I say, if you want to claim that your great-great-grandfather is a monkey, you go ahead. <laughs> My great grandfather is not. He's honored, created by God, in paradise and that's where I'm going to go home and that's it because there is no point in arguing because whoever is going to argue with you about evolution knows as much as you and so it's going to be a waste of time yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> I love
0: Very it. Good right. that's well, the short way well to said. answer this question now. well said yeah i rather have a grandfather who's not a monkey yeah or great 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah <Okay. laughs> Okay, so uh, uh panelists, do you have any other questions for uh Saifu Rahman?
3: Uh no, actually, uh to go back to evolution, there is a very good book on that that mm-hmm. uh maybe uh, our brother or sister should read, which is the uh, What's the Origin of Men from Maurice Bucaille. Uh and you give everything Bucay. You need. It's a very solid Let me tell book. You a bit about
2: Maurice he was a French scientist who is a, was an was <laughs> a non Muslim and all, on his way, all the way in his life dedicated towards trying to disprove that the Quran was written by, was, was by God. And so he dissected the Quran and he put them according to themes. And then after like 20, 30 years of studying it, he gave up and he said, there's no contradiction in this Quran. and you know, an honest man would do like him, he became Muslim. So the, the, the result of that work that he did is found in his book, Maurice Bukhail uh islam s- s- science and religion or something like that
3: yeah bible quran and, and uh, science. bible
2: quran and science yeah correct correct and then this is another book which he talks about uh evolution from a scientific point of view and a man of faith you so, saw like bilal said is recommended good mashallah he hungrier. He... He... So finally, we we
0: we are going to end. Uh, we're going to share a very quick video, and maybe we just have a bit of a reaction to that video, and then we'll end tonight. Because I think it's a very good video that is done by Talk Islam, and uh, we're just sharing a reaction to that video. So I'll quickly
2: share. Can someone sorry before that? Can someone while mm-hmm. watching this video type the name of Maurice Bokaya? Somebody just ask for the spelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe Bilal, if you can remember. M e u r i c e Maurice. Buccaille, B-U-C-A-I-L-L-E. Okay, enjoy the video.
5: What are we doing here? And where are we gonna go? It's like we just woke up one morning and then it's welcome to the show. Don't ask any questions, just go with the flow make as much money as you can and try your best not to get broke copy everything you see on the TV from the hairstyles to the clothes and don't think too often just do exactly as you're told and if you ever get confused then just turn towards the alcohol you'll still hear your thoughts then just turn up the radio as you learn to live a lifestyle of drugs, sex and rock and roll but in all honesty I just need to know Is there more to the cycle than growing and getting old Living and dying just to leave behind a happy home And a whole lot of property that somebody else is going to own I just really need to know before the caskets closed Cause I'm not willing to gamble with my soul Nor am I ready to take any chances These are just simple life questions And I'm just searching for some answers Like what are we doing here? And what is our purpose? How did we get here? And who made us so perfect? And what happens once we go? Or is this world all really worth it? Questions we don't answer, because apparently we don't really have to There's no purpose to this life and our existence is merely natural Then in that case, please let me ask you Did you create yourself or was it somebody else who had fashioned you? Cause you're a being that's impeccable, faultless and unparalleled You're a product of supreme intelligence and I'm merely being rational For there isn't a camera on this earth that can come close to the human eye Nor a computer that can compete alongside the human mind And if the whole world was to come together, we wouldn't be able to create a single fly So many signs, yet we still deny A science tries to justify that all this could come from none When it's a simple sum, zero plus zero plus zero cannot possibly ever give you one So from where did all this order come? For everything has its origins, a maker, a creator of its own I mean the only reason you're watching this video is because somebody had to press upload So we can believe in the big bang but I'd rather believe in he who caused it to explode Allah, the creator of everything along with every single soul the ever living the master the only one who is in control unlike his creation beyond our imagination and no he's not a man nor does he have any partners in association he's on his own and no he did not ever leave us alone just like every manufacturer he left us with an instruction manual The Qur'an and Islam and I'm sorry to jump to conclusions but it's the only one possible The only definition of God is the one and only Supreme Being, it's logical A book with zero contradictions with miracles that are both scientific and historical All revealed over 1400 years ago Like the detailed description of the human embryo The descriptions of the human embryo in the Quran Cannot be based on scientific knowledge in the 7th century To the mountains as pegs holding firm the earth below And the two seas that don't mix in a complete separate flow To the planets in orbit alternating night and day as they stay in flow The expansion of the universe and the creation of everything from H2O To the stories of the past and the preservation of Pharaoh To identifying the lowest point in the land where Persia defeated Rome The gushing fluid that created man in the glands between the ribs and the backbone And not a word has changed, it's still the same So please explain how all this was known over 1400 years ago to a man who couldn't read or write, as he would recite whatever the angels spoke. And if you still don't believe, please try to come up with something that's even close. But you can't, so we took God as a mockery and his messengers as a joke. Muhammad could not read or write. Somebody who can't read or write gonna start a religion. Dismiss these scriptures as legends and tales of the ancient folk as we live life according to our whims, desires, and hopes. Saying this life is the only home we will ever know. We will live then die, then simply turn to bones. Yo, low. Correction, after the grass dies, the rain arrives and it regrows And Allah promises to do the same thing to your very soul And bring you back from your very fingertips to your toes as the all-seeing supreme being watches us so close and we are surely being tested in our wealth, our health, and our self and everything that we've been blessed with so believe for we will surely be resurrected and be brought back to our Lord and account for every single deed as he hands us our books and orders us to read From the bad to the good, and everything in between. You yourself are sufficient for your own accountability, so don't be mad at me. You were the one who thought he wouldn't come back to me. I gave you a whole life long to search after me. But you were busy in all that which was temporary, so read and glad tidings to all those who believed. And if you disbelieve, read. And don't let that day be the first day you find out what your life really means. Read.
4: Oh. So. <laughs> okay.
2: okay.
0: Just a quick one. Uh, how do you think about the video? Any thoughts? Panelists, and I'll go first. I mean, it's really mind boggling, uh, including what you have just shared, uh, Ustad. You know, and I thought the video really touched on the very essence of why we created, also. Um, and it's kind of sums up beautifully tonight's topic. Um, so guys, I mean, you've seen most of the Shahero Night Live already. If you have not, please go ahead. You know, um, this is all done free of charge. We, we really spend our time here to share. Our belief and our faith, and also, inshallah, we'll be uh, sending you the right message. And then you can join in Gemma, inshallah. We all can go to Jannah Yeah. So, <laughs> Brother, Brother Bilal, um, I think you have.
3: Yeah, okay. I think he said everything in, in a video that is six minutes and 51 seconds. I think the thing is all about reading and uh, don't, don't follow what's convenient for you, and don't follow yeah. what everybody seems to, to follow and do try to ponder and think and reflect and have your own opinion, do your own uh, study and go deeper as you can. And, and the thing is that you will definitely benefit from it. Um, so you're not alone. Allah is with you and it will help you
0: inshallah. Anything to add sister Risi?
1: Um, not not too much. I mean, that video pretty much left us all speechless. It was just a reminder of everything that we already knew. And you know, as they say, the condition of a human being, it's it's not really like you know to be taught, but like rather to be also reminded. I mean, it is to be taught, but also we need to be reminded, right? Because often we forget a lot of times. And like, I feel like that video was an excellent reminder.
0: MashaAllah thanks thanks for sharing your reaction to the video. Um, so yeah, let's sum up for tonight, maybe.
2: ا ويوري ساي تسبيح قفراي الصل عصر يا بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك اشهد ان لا اله الا انت استغفرك واتوب اليك بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والعصر ان الانسان لفي خسر الا الذين امنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصوا بالحق وتواصوا بالصبر صدق الله العظيم Hey. So thank you so much for tuning in tonight,
0: and hope you benefited a lot from tonight's sharing. Uh, inshallah, we'll see you in the next episode. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Wassalamualaikum Waalaikumsalam. Good, Good night, everyone. Night.